I am going to read quite a few things. I am going to read from the psalm that I hope is going to be the psalm that I am going to preach on. May God help us. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to read to you from the New Testament, which is in Colossians. And then I'm going to read to you a document from the internet. Isn't that good? <laughs> and that's the message. <laughs> okay. Let us read from Psalm 126. I have a few translations up here. And so I'm trying to find the right one that I really kind of um, like. So it's Psalm 126. And I can't really open the. Oh, never mind. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. There's the shouting rope. <laughs> then they said among the nations, the Lord has been great, has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. Wow. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now I'm going to read from the Living Translation, and I'm going, oh, this is the Living Translation, yeah, yes it is, and I know some of you will say that's not the real Bible, but um, <laughs> it is, I, th I believe, a transliteration. Um, so I'm going to read the Colossians 1, from verse 15, and it is, I know in Bibles, the, chapters, the chapter title is called The Supremacy of Christ. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. And in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth, the things we can see and the things we can't, the spirit world with, the kings and king with its kingdoms, kings and kingdoms, and its rulers and authorities, and were made by all were made by Christ for his own use and glory. Wow. He was before all else began, and in his power, power that holds everything together. That is incredible. He is the head of the body made up of his people. That is his church, which he began. And he is the leader of all those who arise from the dead so that he is the first in everything. For God wanted everything wanted all of himself to be in his son. Now I'm going to read a ancient document, and it is one that the forefathers of the church wrote. Now there are three creeds that, creeds, not greeds, creeds. <laughs> Just so you know, you know what I'm talking about. We're not going to eat. <laughs> We're going to read this. <laughs> Okay, now there are three creeds that are around, and there is the Apostles' Creed, the 
Athanasian. I don't know who they are, but it sounds like they're from Athens. <laughs> I am assuming. Um, Athanasian Creed and the Nicene Creed. Now, the one I'm going to read is the Nicene one. I've read all three of them, and they are so good. Now, basically what they are is a declaration of faith. It, it holds together all the truth of the Bible and one faith statement, if you like. So I'm going to read it from the beginning. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary was made human. And was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. He, we believe in one holy a Catholic. Now the word Catholic means universal. And apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life and the life in the world to come. Amen. Now, if you ever have any doubt about your faith and you don't know what you believe, read those. They awaken in you a declaration of what it is that we're about. And it was, it was written by the forefathers of the church. Now, the reason why I felt the Lord wanted me to go to Psalm 126 was because and there is something that he actually wants to talk about. <laughs> and you're going, thank God for that. Um, okay. When I was reading that, because that psalm is one of the psalms that the Jewish people call the psalms of ascent. And I don't know what that means, but all I know is that the that portion of scripture in the psalms, in the book of psalms, there are psalms that are allocated to that title. Now... It talks about captivity in the beginning. And when they came from captivity, the whole city erupted into celebration. And it was like a dream. It was like surreal. And I was thinking of that, and I was thinking, do we celebrate our deliverance? Do we celebrate our deliverance? The things that God has delivered us from, do we celebrate it? Do we celebrate with joy the fact that God has done incredible things for us? Because I live, you know, you know that I live outside of the walls of South Auckland. I sometimes come in here and I'm going, why is everybody so down hearted over here? What? You know? <laughs> I mean, because I look around and I'm going, do you have any idea how blessed you are? Do you have any idea? Like what Nadine said, when you don't have a home. 
and you have nothing to depend on financially and you've got basically nothing, no backup of any kind and your life is just the edge of something. And you come into a place where people are just around you, have everything that you dream about. They have everything you dream about. And yet they're so down. And you sit there and you go, what's wrong with us? Do we celebrate? Do we really know what it is to celebrate? Do we know what it is to be delivered? Do we remember what it was like to be in captivity? Until you know what it, what you remember what it was like to be demonized, the joy of being delivered is something we don't actually recognize. And this is the thing, you know, that Sam really kind of hit me on the face. It was like, this is what they saw freedom. They saw it because Israel, when it's punished by the Lord, will be taken into captivity. And when God blesses them, he brings them back to Jerusalem. And it was in and out of Jerusalem, in and out of, you know, the history of Israel is in and out of Jerusalem. And, and when they come back, because, you know, Jerusalem is called what? The city of, and the city of David. And it's the place where the Lord's heart is. And wherever the Jewish people go, their eyes are always towards Jerusalem because it's home. And, and there is something about that. There's something about the recognition of the fact that sometimes you need someone from the outside to come in and tell you what you really have. Because the Lord has been wanting to break apathy, but breaking apathy is to do with the fact that we actually never celebrate what the Lord has done. Because the season that we're in, we're supposed to be praying for salvation for the lost. But sometimes I look at the lost, I'm going, I, do I actually want to bring the lost to here? <laughs> I mean, we're so down and so <laughs> depressed. And we, we're the most, supposed to be the most blessed people on earth. And I'm like, yeah. what are we going to show them? <laughs> oh, come join us. We're, you know, we're just surviving, you know. <laughs> We'll get there eventually, but we're, we're here. And so, you know, the Lord wants to wake us up to say, you know what? Unless you actually allow the Lord to generate a spirit of gratitude in us, we will poison our souls. And then we will end up where we came from. And this, this psalm is also talking about the promise of what it is to have wept for a season and sowing in tears. And then having the harvest that actually was promised. I'm like, wow, it's quite an amazing psalm. And I feel like the Lord, I was thinking about this during the week, and I'm like, Lord, what is it that you want to say? Because some messages I kind of have, a hundred, they're all scattered across the planets, <laughs> and the Lord has to pull them together for me to get what he's saying. And I was thinking about the fact that some of the prophetic words that were given to this house, one of them was deliverance. And I was thinking about the whole thing of, it was a particular case that I was facing. Oh, it was, it was something that came up at home. 
And I remember saying to the Lord, what do I do with this? How do I kind of face this thing? And do I got to do what Frowley does and go in the name of Jesus, you know, eyeball that person and, and just say the words and, you know, just... But I was like, no, the Lord isn't... Because the way the Lord has taught me as a prophetic person to deliver people is usually indirectly. I've done it so many times over the history of my life that I don't really kind of confront things the way that some people do. <laughs> but it, it's the way I've been wired. But I was thinking of that, and I was thinking of, you know, when the Lord gives you a dream that you're delivering people, it means then that the Lord will, will go through a season of your life where you will meet the most demonized people you will ever meet in your life. Because unless you actually take the word of the Lord to be true. The other word that came was the word dream. And I've been having this prolonged conversation with the Lord about the word dream. Dream is not a fantasy. It's not a daydream. It's a vision. There is that scripture in the Bible that says, without vision, the people perish. And I've been thinking about that when I first became a Christian. Everybody was anti-driven. Any kind of Christianity that was driven was, was declared demonic. You know, and people went to war against, you know, the drivenness of, of peoples, of, of the Pentecostal. And so, you know, we just got to relax, 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 to the point of, you know, that's what vineyard is. We're relaxed. We take it easy. We cruise along. And I remember having the conversation with the Lord, and I said to the Lord, what exactly then is your version of a dream? Because the Lord probably brought that word during the training. It came as a word for the leaders. And, 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 and a lot of the times what happens is when a word like that is spoken, because it's spoken in the training, it's like, oh, we don't have to worry about it. It's just said as a training, and therefore we'll deal with it when we're doing another training. We'll think about it then so that we align it with just as part of the training, and we don't have to worry about it. We don't take it out of the context of training. And I feel like the Lord is wanting to bring that word here. Because I will notice one of the things that happens is when, when people don't dream, you just float along. You just float along. It's like, okay, well, you know, it didn't happen. Oh, that's sad. But yeah, I don't think it was God's heart for me. So I'm just going to find something else. And I know the promises that God has is appointed to the dreams. But I also felt like the Lord, he wants to awaken dreams that are real. Because without dreams, we will get to the end of our lives and never realized what our life was about. You know, sometimes when I listen to Bill Johnson and he talks about that, that whole thing of God reducing his life to one thing. 
I look at mine and I go, can I reduce my life to one thing? Probably not yet. But what is it that, that beats in your heart that you want the most to see come out of your life? Come out of your life. What is it that actually ticks you off when things go wrong in the world? What is the one thing that gets triggered in you? What is the trigger that you have? Because some of us, when things go wrong, it can be social justice, it can be, and there's a lot of those around. Um, and there is the sustainability of the planet, and there is, that is quite a big, big thing right now. And it can be anything. But what is it about that that got to you? Because I am introverted, I do a lot of introspective. You know, I sit with myself and I am in tune with the universe and I am very happy and I read quite a lot of information about just about anything. And I try to find when I come, like even reading the Bible. When you read the Bible, there will be scriptures that will just get to you. You know, when it lists all the sins in Romans and in Corinthians and, and, and you just go through all. And there are particular sins that are like, oh, that's not a problem. And then there are particular ones that just go, boom, and you, and you go, ah, and you, and you just kind of skip over them. Skip, 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 skip. And, and, you, and I realize, why do I skip those? And I realize it's because those are the, the, the arrows. Those are the pointers. Those are the things that God is saying, well, you got an issue with that, you got an issue with that, and that needs to be sorted, and this needs to be sorted. And I feel like the Lord is wanting to bring to this house a courage to dream. Because when we have lived life of disappointment and sorrow and grief and pain, dreaming is the last thing we want to do. Why? Because you just already assume in your mind that it's not going to happen. So we don't dream. And it's, it's a huge thing for me because I actually don't really like dreaming. I say to God, dreaming is all right for some people. You know, the rich and famous can dream all they want because they can go out and make it happen. <laughs> You know, <laughs> make it happen when you want. You know, you know. I, I I saw a documentary and they were interviewing some people about money, and they said, "Oh, being rich is good because it gives you the freedom to live life on your own terms." And I'm like, "Oh, wow! <laughs> you know, how nice for you!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then. And then, then I realized, I was thinking, I think that's why a lot of us are poor. <laughs> because, you know, if we had a lot of money, we wouldn't need God at all. And the Lord wants to awaken dreams because he wants to confront us with the fact that we actually cannot live it happen. Um, I'm trying to find a word. A life that actually doesn't hit a mark. 
And I feel like this is kind of like a, an arrow being sent into nowhere. <laughs> because I know that we're all kind of going, oh, you're kidding me. No, please, you know, let us not dream. <laughs> let us not. And I feel like the Lord is saying, no, he's going to confront us because he's going to want us to dream. And he's going to call out of us the dreams that he has. Because someone has to intercede for them to come to pass. And unless we know what they are, we don't actually intercede. And I feel like, you know, I was thinking about one of the things that, that, um, that, that I kind of always pick up. Because being a prophetic human being, it's one of those things you just kind of notice things that no, most normal people would never do. And... And, and I know artists, oh, fine artists are similar. And in the sense that for a number of years, we had three Davids in this house. We always had three Davids. Always, constantly, under the roof of Southside, there were always three Davids. Until Dave died. And then that stopped. And then what happened now is we always have a connection to three Daniels. Do you notice that? There's Dan Williams, there's Daniel McCollin, and there's Danny Bishop. And I was looking at that and I'm going, wow, Lord, what are you saying? And I feel like the Lord is saying, intercede for the generation that is coming because they are called to be the Daniel generation. Why? They are the Daniel generation because in the time of Daniel, he lived as one of the most demonized kingdoms on earth. And yet in it, he was true to his God. And I feel like, you know, because we always had the whole thing about the Joshua generation, the Joshua we're going to take the land, we're going to take the land, the Joshua generation. And I'm like, the land is just being taken over. Where is Joshua? You know, where the heck is Joshua? You know, well, this generation, they kept saying the Joshua generation. I'm like, where the heck? What happened to Joshua? You know, like, the land is just overrun. And I'm like, God, you know. I'm like, oh, well, never mind about Joshua. You know, let's just move on. <laughs> and I feel like the Lord is saying, pray because the generation that is our children is being summoned by the Lord to be in places of influence. And no one will know they're there because their main calling is to look towards the God of Israel and to pray that the land and that, that to keep their righteousness in places of influence. Because if we don't take the light into the darkness, the darkness will come to us. And, you know, it's a season of praying for salvation. Usually when I start to pray for salvation for somebody or people... <laughs> Sleep becomes the last thing that I end up having. And it becomes in kind of like a zombie kind of existence. 
where <laughs> that's funny in that in my house now is that there are three people that are always awake at probably three in the morning. <laughs> you know, I wake up, I go, and somebody's either making cookies at, at one in the morning, and someone is just walking around at three in the morning. So I'm like, oh, it's nice to to be awake with people that are awake. Oh, you know, it's nice to be in the house and there are people awake. You know? And I'm like, oh, I come out to make a coffee at about two in the morning, and I'm like, okay, I'm uh, obviously sleep is not going to happen, so we might as well make the most of it. You know? and, and I realized, you know, because I was talking, I went out to, I had a conversation with Hirim and we were talking about, you know, the art world and the art scene and all of that kind of stuff. And because most of the time I'm almost finished with Whitecliffe, but I, I'm still asking God, why am I here? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I've got four months left. And I'm like, why am I, you know, I still ask, why am I here? And... And I realized it is the place where legally every demon on earth is allowed to live. It's allowed to have a voice. It's allowed to put itself out there into the world, to be seen by the world, to be worshipped by the world, to be loved by the world, to be adored by the world. And no one actually will say, oh, that's wrong. Because everyone's too scared to have a right and wrong answer. Everything has to be, oh, that's art. And therefore, it makes it acceptable that you put any most demonic thing out there for the whole world to encounter and no one will say that's wrong. Because the art world is a God unto itself. It's like any, 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 any place that God calls you in. You go into education, it has its own demons. You go into the medical field, it has its own demons. You go everywhere and anywhere you go, there is a confrontation that will happen. And you would know it because it comes to you. And the reason why God says you are the light to the world and we are the salt, it's not that we stay where we are, it's because we are being sent to go places where the salt of our existence keeps that place preserved. So the enemy does not have a field day and preempt things on the earth that is not yet about to happen or supposed to happen. This whole thing about the Daniel generation is to fight for a generation that is behind us. Well, not behind us, in front of us, because the, the ones behind us, us, are dead. <laughs> you know, they basically are. You know, so we can't fight for dead people. You know, it's not biblical. You know? And so we are to actually look ahead into a generation, and the generation that is our children are supposed to know one thing, that your parents know something. They may get on your nerves. They may irritate them. Jesus out of you, but they know something you don't. And everything about being a parent is you will never ever fully know until one day you become a parent and then you go, my, my mother failed me because I am so much better a parent than them. You know? <laughs> but you realize I've always said this to somebody. I said, the progression of life is when you're in your teens, your parents are the most uncoolest people on the planet, and they cannot work, walk next to you in the mall. They cannot come near you in the mall. When you go in the mall, your mother's over there, and you do not know them, and you are just your cool self. And then when you're in your 20s, they are idiots. 
They're completely idiots. They don't know anything. They don't know anything that they could possibly say to me because I know everything. I know everything there is to know. I know the internet. They don't know the internet. They don't know the internet at all. In fact, they can't even work their phones. So, you know, the reality is they do not know anything, you know? And then when you get to your 30s, and like, oh, maybe they do know something. Of something, you know. When you get to your 40s, you realize how much you need your parents. Because you realize, wow, they do know a lot more. And I was thinking last night, I was thinking, I was thinking of this whole thing of tradition because of the word that Greg gave us because it bangs me on the head because I actually am anti-tradition. I am just <laughs> contemporary. I am contemporary, so I'm on everybody. Hello. Um, and, and so I do this thing where, I, and I remember Dave and I would have these conversations about the look in the evenings, which is basically the family devotions that every Simon family has. We grew up in it. Dave grew up in it. I grew up in it. We never did it. We didn't do it for our kids. It was like, it was torture for us. We are not going to torture our children. We refuse to torture our children. And then I was sitting last night and I was thinking, but I bet you tonight that every someone I've known whose parents have passed would have that one dream to have one more moment where you sit in a local with your parents and you hear them and they pray. And they intercede for you and they list every family member there is. And they pray for about 20 minutes and you're hungry and you're sitting there and you're going, but that won't matter. I just want one more moment. Just that one moment where I'm sitting in the room with them and they're praying for me and my generation, my children. And you know, we, we live through these phases of life. Where we're constantly, you know, like what Nadine said, we're being stretched. And some seasons are easy where we're just joyful, like, you know, celebrating. And there are seasons where we just feel the pain of the stretch. And we know it's agonizing. It's agonizing. But the thing that the Lord has been trying to get me back to is the thing that, what is the one thing about me? when I came to the kingdom that I longed for. I mean, Robin always longed to see people jump out of wheelchairs, the presence of God to be in the room and the world to just shake, you know. I just wanted, I just want to sit with Jesus. Basically, that's all I ever wanted in my whole life was to just sit face to face with Jesus. I want to look into his eyes. I want to hear the voice of the one who died for me. Because when I get to heaven, the first person I want to see is Jesus. And so when I kind of go through these seasons of everything going wrong, because I see, you know, I remember if God, if Jesus ever shows up to you and gives you a cup and says, drink this, you know that your life is about to go through hell. He did that last season for me. He walked up to me, picked up this cup, gave it to me, and I just sobbed. I just sobbed. I sobbed my eyes out because I knew what he was asking of me. And I go, Lord, what? And, you know, Dave has already passed. And I'm like, if, if before he died, I would have understood, you know, but he's, he's not here. And so how, what, what, what? 
because it implies that the fire is about you're in the oven and the fire is going up and you're and you're like okay do I smell like roast lamb right now <laughs> you know am I sizzling <laughs> and I I didn't know how and I rem- I was reminded by the Lord because as I remember I I brought the cup to you. You are living through the moment of drinking the cup I have given you. What does that mean? It means that every moment of my life, I cannot. That's why when Frody takes me, would you like to come to this thing? And I'm like, no. Would you like to come to this thing? No. Would you like to come? Oh, no, 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 I'm fine. And because right now, every little bit of stress sets trauma off. I can go through and then I begin to have this full-blown panic attack and I'm sitting there going, that was just about me missing the bus. And I'm like, and I can't decide whether to take the train, like I said last time. And I'm like, and I know when the Lord said to me, I'm taking you somewhere where you're going to heal. But at the same time, all the pain that is hidden in your soul is going to be on the surface. And you're going to feel every bit of it. And I'm like, okay. And so when I come into Southside and everyone is gloom and droom, I'm like, really, people? Come on. You are the most blessed people I know. You are. You have everything that God has, all the testimonies of what God has done. He has never, ever let you down. Ever. I mean, how many times has Robin gone to Indonesia and he's never had the cash in his pocket? How many? He went to America. He took his family to Disneyland. All of it. You, you, you have, people are giving cars away like it rains over here. I'm like, flipping it. I mean, I've got my sister who's driving her old van and it's falling apart. And I'm like, Lord, it's raining cars over here. Can it rain over here? Can, you know, let some of that rain here, you know? And I'm sitting there going, come on, people, cheer up. Jesus is still alive. You know? You know? And I'm sitting there going, does, you know, when, when, Jesus, when, when he takes me to Colossians and he teaches me the supremacy of Christ. And I'm like, okay, supremacy of Christ. Very good. For South Auckland, it's very good. But for me, I just want a peaceful day where I, I don't have to rely on coffee. Okay? <laughs> I guess a Bible week without needing coffee to, to live on. And... And you know, and I'm reading this psalm and I'm like, it was like a dream. They were set free. They were, they came back from captivity. Can you imagine that? You see all of these people coming, coming and you're in South Auckland and all the people from everywhere else in Auckland come because, you know, they were set free to come back. <laughs> and they're coming back and they're, and the whole, and the whole of Manicow erupts into celebration because look, they want us now. Look, you know, and you actually sit there and you go, wow, how did that happen? You know, you kind of have these mental pictures because you need to, I need to see a picture. You know, when I read something and I'm like, oh, the city of Jerusalem is walled. So I can just imagine them seeing these people come back and how that would have felt. 
Like there were the, their cousins and relatives that were gone into captivity, and here they are coming back. And I'm like, that's what it's like when God delivers us. How come we don't actually kind of celebrate? You know, I listen to you know if you reach the gospel and read the gospel, not reach the gospel. Um, and 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 the, these people are talking about when they get you know when Jesus heals them, and they get healed, and they. They, they just celebrate. If you ever watch any meetings where yeah. people get healed and, you know, any Benny Hinn one or any, and, and people get healed from something they've had for a long time and their whole demeanor changes and everything because suddenly the pain is gone. Yeah. Suddenly they can walk. Suddenly, you know, all these things that they were not able to do before because, you know, when Robin was talking about people that live with chronic pain, there are people that actually live with chronic pain that no painkiller can help them. But they actually don't want to die. They actually want to live. And so they live their whole life with this pain. And we don't know what it's like. And, you know, sometimes when we have a little pain, it's like, I'm going to die now. You know, I'm just in pain. And but then when it's gone, you don't realize the things we take for granted. We don't realize the things we take for granted when we live without pain. And that sometimes is sometimes the Lord allows trouble to come to us so that we actually recognize what we really do have. To raise a generation of Daniels that will know what it is to endure. Because I remember Bill Johnson talking to the school of ministry or their church with all these young people. The first one, I think, they did. They were all, it was at their opening night, I think. He said to them, or, yeah. You know, it's, it's wonderful to see so many passionate young people for Jesus. But in 20 years' time, come back and tell me if you're still burning for Jesus. Then I'll be impressed. Come back and see if the fire is still the same. Then I'll take note. Because it's not about the joy and the of of actually um, in the, the crowd when we're saved. It's about the darkness when everything leaves and you're in it. And the only thing that you have to draw on is where is the face of Jesus? I came into this with Jesus. He's the only reason why I'm here. And not to walk away. Because I know we were talking about discipleship and I was thinking of all the people that came to Jesus through Dave and my life and our prayers. And I'm like, okay, Lord. I'm never, ever, ever going to disciple anyone again. Ever. I'm, you know, I can disciple everyone in here. But in terms of family, I'm like, I'm, I'm done, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm just done now. Like, I prayed for them. The lightning and everything else happened, and they came to Jesus in droves, and the excitement was everywhere, and everybody was talking about Jesus. And then, a few years later, I'm going, okay, I have to. Now do what Bill Johnson talks about. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Because right now, Lord, I wish to God. <laughs> because you do get really disheartened. But the thing that Jesus always says is the battle is not over. It's not over. 
and to encourage yourself by going back to that one thing. To ask the Lord for the dreams for the season and the dream for your life. Because prophetic people's lives are never really straightforward. They never are. And the things the war you fight, nobody else will understand. Because, you know, I when every time Farley gets a prophetic word and it comes, I make it my habit now since I was trained. It's never to let those words go unnoticed in me. That I would make a note of them, I would recognize them, and then I would walk with the Lord with regards to my identification in myself of the process of that word. I told, you know, we, I always, when I'm not happy about prophetic word, I just say it, ah, nah. But I never let it go. Because sometimes words come and they pierce us and we react. But the reaction then should never lead us to abandon the possibility that, that God is wanting to get to us. To dream for somebody whose life has been just from day one, from the womb of her mother to the world, in the world, has been just this constant assault of pain. To be given a word called dream is an insult. It's an insult because, okay, there is now the possible list of disappointments that will add to the list of disappointments I already live with. Do I even want to go there? But one of the things about American culture that's interesting is the fact that they have this American dream. <laughs> Buy the house, get the big car, get the promotion at work, be the hero, make the movie, <laughs> you know, write the book, <laughs> be on TV, <laughs> become a social media fan, you know, <laughs> become a YouTube <laughs> and a sensation. And they have absolutely no qualms about that. New Zealand is a complete opposite. Getting people to, to, to have confidence is, 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 is quite a challenge in New Zealand. <laughs> Getting people to believe that you can do something and, and, and be all right with it. You know, I, can, I, can, I know how to change a car tire. There is an achievement, you know. And, and be all right with it and not feel like, oh, I can't, I can't, you know, take that as an accolade. I'm, I'm just not in that way inclined. And, and yet, it's total opposite, the things you face. So the thing that the Lord wants to do is he wants to awaken dreams, and the dreams have to be that you actually... See, I was thinking about this whole thing about a dream and then having the American thing of actually running to build the dream. And I feel like in the kingdom, it's actually not the same. To build a dream, you need people. You need family. You need mental, emotional, physical support. You need people to get alongside you and actually buy, 
buy into the dream is a thing, uh, not a, a, a phrase I like, but so they, they actually walk you through. Everything I live, I'm living now is God's dream for me. I never dreamed any of it. I don't. Does that mean then we avoid actually knowing what the dream is in the heart of God for us? Becoming the person that God has designed you to be. From Psalm 139, there is always this war in people with regards to God's identity and your identity. What you want to be and what God has determined. And that's where the tension is always, I find, in New Zealand, that's very hard, is the fact that God says something, but we don't agree with him. He says, I'm this, but I actually don't believe that, and I'm right, he's wrong. I have seasons when I am going through hell, and the Lord comes, and I cannot condemn myself, because I sit there, and I begin the list of, I failed, da 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 the list is long, and I can go right down to before I was born, I go, da 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 53 years of a list. Of, and, and the Lord just completely ignores me. And I have to, a lot of times, repent. Because I'm most of the time I'm determined I'm right and God is wrong. Like I have these conversations with the Lord about when I'm needing to buy something for Solomon because I needed to buy him some shoes. And it was pouring down with rain and I had to go back to Manukau to change the shoes in the pouring rain. And I'm like, oh yes, sacrifice people, sacrifice parents, parental sacrifice, you know, hello. <laughs> and anyway, I go there, I get the shoes, I come back and I'm talking to the Lord while I'm walking through the mall because I had to walk through Manukau, get out of Manukau, go to the other side of, of, of Westfield to get to the number one shoe warehouse, everybody. Anyway. I'm walking through the mall, it's pouring down, and I'm talking to the Lord, I'm telling him about what I'm actually you know, da, 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 needing to do with regards to get Solomon's school stuff. And he says this to me, he says, you're such an amazing parent. You're such a good parent. And I'm going, um, um, okay, <laughs> okay. If, if you, and, and he wouldn't relent, he would just keep saying, you're such a good parent. You're such an amazing parent. And I'm sitting there going, Okay, but right now, probably not the, the, the way I would describe myself. Right now. And, but he won't relent. He says, you're such an amazing parent. You're such a good parent. I'm so proud of you. You're such a good parent. And I'm like, okay, I'm a good parent. Everybody, I'm a good parent. I'm a good parent, world. I'm a good parent. And, and for years, he would say that to me. Constantly, he would say to me, you're a good parent. You're an amazing parent. You're a good parent. And I'm like, oh, I am a good parent. Now, with everything that happens in the physical world, and I am being like da-da-da-da-da, and, and the Lord is just like, I'm a good parent. The Lord says I'm a good parent. Therefore, whatever's happening right now, it does not equate to that. Therefore, whatever it is, I have to live through it. Because a lot of the times when you are prophetic and you deliver people, the way you deliver people, people will not understand. And you will know this. Because all of us who are parents have had to do things for our children that they don't have any idea about. And the thing is this. When you see somebody with the eyes of Jesus 
and you know the dream that God has for them, you would protect that dream, even if it means that you're going to be trampled on until eternity. You would protect that dream in the heart of God, and you would do everything to make sure that that dream comes to happen. We do it as parents for our kids. But I feel like the Lord is trying to say, now begin to dream. Do not say that I'm too old, which I have been saying to the Lord. I am too old for this. I am sitting in a lecture, and every word that they say, I need a thesaurus with me. And I am sitting there going, Lord, I need a coffee, about 10 of them. And even then, I still won't get what they're saying. And I actually need, and I am just too old for this. I, I am just, and then I sit there, and I'm listening. And they were reading me an essay about a guy that's arguing that his art, which is basically a sculpture of metal, and it's painted, and it's really minimal. And, and he's saying, it's not a painting, and it's not a sculpture. It is special. But he will not say it's special. He's saying, my art is one of a kind. It is breakthrough. It is actually now a new innovation in the art world, and everybody should take note. And he's arguing this in this essay. And I'm listening to this, and I'm going, 100 coffees is not going to save me today. So I say something to my tutor, saying, so basically, because, you know, the essay is very academic. And so I said, so basically he's saying his art doesn't fit this, and it doesn't fit this, and it's special. He goes, ah, yes, you got it. And go, thank you. <laughs> now I don't need to listen to this anymore. I can go home. <laughs> and, and, and I am telling the Lord that I am too old. And I'm like, I'm 53. 53 should be retired age. God, you know, it should be moved forward for people like me. I want to retire right now and live with some kind of pension so I can just go. I don't have to worry about finances ever again. I have a pension now, everybody, and a gold card. I can go anywhere in the city for free. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'm sitting there going, I'm just too old for some things now, Lord. Not all these tensions and all these stress that comes. I just am too old. And the Lord is going, I sent you to Atcliffe at 53. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's basically nothing to do with you. And I know because a lot of the times when we feel inadequate is because we look at ourselves. But one of the things the Lord has taught me up to now is it's never been about you. It's never been about you. If I can bring the world into existence by one word, and I live in you, what then do you think? And I always sit there and I go, hey, yeah, we're going to make some decent artwork of some kind. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I always kind of go, because one of my tutors, he's South African, he's bad. And he's the head of the department says, just make some crap and put it out there, put a name on it, and they won't be, you know, just do that. Don't worry about it. Don't have to defend it. Don't worry about it. Just put it out there. And don't, you know, at this age, because he's 70, I don't give a neck. <laughs> and then I'm sitting there going, oh, dear. <laughs> this is just no good. You know, half of my tutors swear, so when they do their lectures, most of it is filled with efforts. And you're kind of sitting there going, why, why am I here? And I'm like, I'm just too old for this, you know. You know, because in Samoan culture, people don't know this, but in Samoan culture, you're an idiot if you swear. 
We are not allowed to swear. And the only time you hear someone swear is because they are so angry. So that's when you run. <laughs> because in our psyche, we do not swear. And, and it was amazing, you know. I'm sitting here going, this is a mad world, Lord. <laughs> I thought lecturers are supposed to be decent human beings that are supposed to be BC, you know. And, and, and there's a whole thing of actually being lost in a place that you're called into. That's normal. That's normal because Jesus is in you. He knows the way. But sometimes we give up because we feel lost and we go, this is not for me. And I sit there and I go, well, actually, God has brought you into this situation for this time and this moment with the support that you have of the people that you have because this is the moment you were born for. For this season of your life, this is the moment. And you know, because I, I was thinking last night about the fact that all my kids have grown and they're, you know, they're all out there in the world. And I'm sitting in Pamua, looking out over Pamua and going, Lord, am I here to call your presence to Pamua? <laughs> you know how we were talking about calling the presence of God. To, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, Lord, it feels like raising my kids is a job that you've finished. I mean, I'm still mom, of course, but finished in terms of, and I'm like, but then what am I? My whole life has been my kids. My whole life has been being their mom was my one number one identity in God. I'm their mom. I would do anything. I'm their mom. I, that's what I am. I'm a mom. I, it's the most rewarding, the most challenging, the most heart-wrenching calling that you would ever get. And yet, that's what I am. I'm a mom. And now, you know, I'm sitting there going, I'm kind of a surrogate distant, somewhat removed mom right now. And, and you know, the, the, the thing that, that makes it really interesting is the fact that the Lord says, because I, when Dave died, it was the process of having to reconfigure our life to his realignment. And it was really interesting. And now I am where I am, and I'm going, I didn't dream of this. I dreamt to buy the house in the suburb, have a little garden, retire, get my gold card so I can go anywhere in the city. And that's basically the dream. That's the dream, to retire happily and still be sane, you know. And, but the road turned the way it turned. Because there are nights I go and I go, we never dreamed that Dave would die the age he died in. We never dreamed that. We dreamed that in Psalm 91, it says that he would see his children's children. And I'm like, Lord, what the heck happened? And the Lord won't answer me. But he, and so everything is about reconfiguring who I am, what I am, or I don't even know half the time. And most of us, we go through it season by season. And we have to keep up with the play when the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? Unless the inside of you can handle the things that are coming, you have to walk this. Because it's not about running around trying to be somebody and be with people that will make us into something. It's about perseverance in the fire. 
The perseverance in the fire forges something into our spirit that makes us stay. Because you know, I've been reading, you know, the whole Bible reading thing. I'm reading Genesis. And I've gotten to Genesis 4, everybody. You should be so proud of me. Genesis 4. And it talks about the Cain and Abel scenario. And what did the Lord say to Abel? Because of what happened, you will become a wanderer on the earth and you, and that is a curse. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) He was cursed to wander the earth. That is what an orphan looks like. An orphan never stays. The orphan always looks for a better buzz. That is also what happens when you come from families that have addictions. Because you're always looking for the high. My father was an alcoholic. One of the reasons why I never take wine is because once I start, you're going to have to carry me out of communion. (laughs) And I know it. And so what do I do? I stay away from the demons that took my father's life. And what happens is when God forges fire in our lives to actually cause us to actually be strengthened in our inner being so that we actually know what it is to cry for the rain in the desert. You know, we were talking, I think, a few people that usually go to Bethel quite a bit. And they were actually, and then one day they said, we always go there, we come back, but the buzz never, the fire never comes with us. It never killed us. Why is that? Until one day they said, ah, it's because I think God wants us to dig our own well. He wants us to dig our own well. How can we? Yeah, there's something about that, isn't there? Because to dig a well is hard work. To dig a well means no one will join us until the water is flowing. And no one will notice. No one will notice when you're in the sweat and the sun and there's no shade and you're just on your own and you're digging the well. And then when the water starts flowing, multitudes will come and tell you what they think about the water. They will tell you the condition of the water and how they don't like the water and how the water should look like this, that, and the other thing. And then you realize, was it worth digging this well? Was it really worth digging it? But until you can put your back into something and your soul into something and endure the hardness of when nobody is cheering you on, the well then will be sweet when the water starts flowing. And I feel like, you know, the Lord wants to awaken dreams and to actually, for the generation of our children, they are called to be the Daniel generation. And you know what Daniel's strength was? He knew the law, which is the word of God. And two, he never gave up on who he was in terms of his perseverance to pray. He prayed three times a day. And he never made an excuse about it. He just persevered in it, and he was, he was. He had character, and he had integrity. Until you've been tested, you don't know how much character you have and how much integrity is in your bones. Until you've been put through the fire, and you have people say to you, you know, you need to adjust that. Adjust that attitude. Adjust it. 
Because if you persevere with that attitude, it's just going to take you out. One of the things about Tony, taking to the things that we say to you for the generation that is behind us is that we may not look like much to you, but we know some stuff. We've been through some wars and lived to tell about it. We've been forged in fire, and you don't know what that's like until something happens. Because the measure of the calling is seen in the challenges that it takes to forge it. People that, are co- that come into the kingdom with hellfire and everything happening, it means their life. Like I said to you guys about my sister, when they got saved, I said to her, because of the way they got saved, your life is going to be hell. You need to start interceding now because if you don't, the cost will be your children. When we persevere and allow God to awaken the dreams from within. It's a prophetic word that was given and we have to listen to it. Otherwise, we will just use not having a dream as an excuse to miss it. The Lord has been so strong on my life in terms of his hand because I gave him permission to destroy anything in me that will exalt itself against Jesus. And because of that, the weight of his hand on my life is so fiercely strong that if he doesn't give me something, I won't have it. Everything that is in my life comes from him. And because it comes from him, that's why I say to some of you, you know, you guys really don't know how strong God is, do you? You really don't. That when he says he's going to save you, no running around trying to open doors that are not open is going to save you. He is going to hold you to a place where you can scream all you like, but he's not going to budge because he is saving you from yourself. You know? He's saving us a lot of the times from ourselves because of our family lines and the demonic stuff that comes down to it. And if we're left, we will become just like our parents. The state that we're in. And what does he do? He forges us. You know, the thing that I hate the most is community. I hate community because I was raised in a village. I know the cost of what it is to be in a village. I know. I know what it is to be called to leadership and having to stand in that place where you make decisions for people's lives and you have to pay the cost for it. My father lived it. And what then does it mean when God says, I'm putting you in a village? And then I was just, Farley was just mentoring me. I'm like, oh, there's a leadership team. The house is formed. Everybody's happy. They're having their little fights here and there, but I'm not part of it. I'm just outside. I'm happy. Yeah, you can build your village, Lord. Until one day, I'm standing here. And I say to God, I hate villages. I just don't like communities. But one of the prayers I prayed was, never, ever let me run. Be so strong in me that no matter how hard I try to run, you won't let me. 
because you must get the glory that you deserve out of this life. Even though this life has its own will. And Frodi has prayed it for me. Be stronger than who will be strong. <laughs> it was a Sunday night prayer meeting. Me. And I'm like, okay, we're going to be broken. We're going to be broken. We're going to be broken. And I have been smashed to pieces. And I am in this community not because I chose it, but because the hand of the Lord forged a community around me. And I know now that I am too scared to run to go anywhere else. I'm too scared to go anywhere else because this is home. And home is never comfortable. I know some of you just love your bedroom. You've got all your internet connection. And you've got your big screen, Mac on your, on your desk. And you're happy. And you've got everything because your mom is paying for the internet. And you're just happy. You're happy because you've got free, unlimited internet. You're in heaven. And what does the Lord want to do with us? He wants, at times, make, wants to make us uncomfortable. That's why you meet people that don't like you. You know, you're just like, the world loves me. I'm so cool. I'm just so cool. And then so out comes this person that just cannot stand you, even though you tried. You, you do everything for them. They just don't like you. Because the discomfort that we face forges us. It forges us into people that, that, that the life of Rob represents, the people that endure, and people that overcome. And people that know what it is to have um, something will. <laughs> I'm trying to find the word. Oh, I need a coffee. Um, <laughs> willpower. When the will is submitted to God, it gets forged to become the most dangerous weapon in the kingdom. And that's why, you know, for some of us, be grateful when God interferes with your will. Because he's trying to save you from your family line. He's trying to save you from yourself. And he's trying to save you from everything that everybody else can see but you. You know, when prophetic people stop talking to me and giving me prophetic words when I'm going through something, I know it's because I've done something back there that I kind of... I have these seasons where I... Because I am actually quite stubborn. I come from a family of very stubborn people. And there are times when I go to see Jesus and he's standing in front of me and his eyes are glaring and it looks like it looks like ice. You know, ice when it's glowing. And I look at him and I go, Oh no, he is not happy. And he doesn't say anything to me except that he stands in front of me and his eyes are piercing and he's not happy. And I stand there and I go, and I recount everything that I've done and I realize I am fighting for my will to live. And I am standing face to face with the Lord of Lords who is now no longer my Lord, but is now really upset with me. And because he knows that I am about to send myself into hell 
because my will is still refusing to bow. And when he sees that, now when I see it, the moment I see it, I know, I go back and I go, oh, that's because I'm persistent in something that I want. And I've done it a lot of times. And I have ended up in some really, really horrendous situations where it's taken lifetimes to undo. When the Lord stands in your way to stop you, bow. Because you know, when Frodi was talking about different cultures in here, I try to say to people, look at your culture, look at the strongholds in it, look at what it is. So when people come to you and actually say to you, you know what? It's that thing that comes down from your culture that says, no one can tell me I cannot have this. Because in Pakia culture, they're colonizers of the earth. You have the power to go anywhere, get whatever land you have, any resources you want, when you want it. It's been the history of mankind. It's not a bad thing. It's just there. It's what God has allowed for that culture to have. And because of that, it becomes a strength, but it also your greatest weakness. That when somebody comes in your way and says, well, actually, you can't have that. You know, like, well, actually, the land, you know. It's when somebody says you can't have that, that something in you goes, no, I'm going to have it. And by hell you tell me I can't. And I can see it in people, and that's when I go, okay, then. You have no idea who you're about to meet. It is one thing to meet God as God, but another thing to meet Jesus when he's not happy. He is scarier. When he's not happy, he is scarier than God. You know, the thing about the fear of God, about, oh, sorry, I'm just rambling. Um, the fear of God is something Psalm 1's have. Now, this is a cultural strength. But one of the things the Lord said to me is that the fear of God cannot be um, driven by fear. It has to be driven by love. Because the fear of God is clean. It does not make you afraid of life. It makes you recognize that you've been washed and you're clean. And in that cleanness then is the confidence that God is with you. Then you fear that God because you know he is all-powerful. And the Lord has been walking, uh, talking to me about this because I'm like, when you're an intercessor, you know what it means to stand before a holy God. And he's scary. And this is the thing, you know, I've been walking with a few people of different cultures, and I say, in your culture, you don't believe me when I say that. You don't believe me when I say that God is scary. And that God, when he chooses, you cannot move him. You may be the colonizers of the earth, but when he decides, nothing your culture can do will make it happen. Because he decides. And I say this to people, but people look at me like, I don't think so. And I'm like, go right ahead and try. Go on, run, run, Forrest. <laughs> run. <laughs> and I watch and I'm going, see, I told you, I told you, you should have just listened. And this is the thing when prophetic people give up, it's because they're just letting you go. Anyway, go back to the dream. Dream with God and let him awaken the dream and be brave in the dream. Because the dream will mean that some of us have to be humbled to the ground in order to have it. 
And I have been humbled a few times. I've not been humbled in White Cliff yet, but I'm dreading that I would. But we believe in God the Father. You know that creed. Read it over yourself. Read it over your children. Read it over your family. Read it so that the faith awakens to dream. Because the foundation of our faith means that we are becoming a minority in the land of people that are thinking hell is where heaven is. I've been reading John Bevere. If you ever like to be confronted by a Pentecostal pastor or a teacher, read John Bevere. He is the fear of God guy. He has this whole few chapters of his book where how is described in absolutely graphic detail. And I sit there and I go, it's the season of calling salvation to this land, calling salvation to come. Because if you read that book, you would actually think not even your enemy deserves to go there. It is a place of eternal torment, of aloneness with you and pain that you cannot imagine. The most excruciating form of pain, you will be alone in it by yourself. And because of that, the Lord wants to awaken those things. So that is me. Hopefully you've got something good out of that. So please stand and we'll pray.